you're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, I have the lovely Brandy Mabra on. Hi, Brandy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business, and then we'll just jump right in. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Brandy Mabra. I'm the CEO of Savvy Clover Coaching and Consulting, and I'm a CEO coach for private practice owners. So I work with private practice owners on hiring, team building, operations, processes and systems, uh, the financial part, just to make sure that how they're growing makes sense, that they have the right money partners and all the good stuff. So that way they can build a practice that is sustainable and profitable and here today and years to come. And so I really, I feel really blessed to be able to do this work and I'm excited just to share more knowledge. So I have 15 years with the business management leadership experience, building multi-million dollar uh, practices. And so it's, that's the expertise that I bring to the table. Yeah. And, and today we're talking specifically about really owning your CEO status. And I think that's such an interesting topic to me because that's something that so many practice owners kind of struggle with, right? Where they definitely know their worth as a clinician and, and um, feel confident in their work there. But when you talk about like the running a business part, that's where a lot of people feel a little bit uncomfortable and aren't, aren't necessarily wanting to take up space. Um, so I'm excited to dive in. And you specifically wanted to talk about Uh, and I'm going to quote your words here, hiring your ride or die dream team, how that can help you make more money in your practice. And I love that because like the the ride or die team, it means a lot, right? It's not just like, (laughs) oh, we're hiring good people. And like, we're, we're hiring great clinicians. It's like the people who are going to be around Mm -hmm. with you. Yeah, Um, absolutely. All right. So let's dive in where, how does your CEO status as a practice owner, how can that help with money mindset? I believe that when you think about being a CEO, the chief executive officer of your practice, you're saying, I'm taking responsibility for the vision that I have, the mission that I've been given. And I know, especially when it comes to therapists and mental health professionals and just private practice owners, I would say in general and practitioners, the clinical skill set that you've been given is to be able to serve the world in a bigger capacity. And so when you have a practice where you start off as in the mindset of, I'm going to create a job for myself, I need to get clients, I need to get some money in the door, Um, then it's really easy to take on just that worker bee mentality and not think about the overall vision and what are you moving towards and what are my financial goals and, you know, what does it mean to hire, what kind of hire do I need to have and putting, you know, metrics and KPIs to those things to make sure that it makes sense operationally when it comes to the practice. And so one of the things that I love is when you take on that CEO mindset then yes, there's a place and time for everything because especially as you're building a practice or as you're in that solo space, but once you transition to hiring and having that team, then there's a a certain transformation that needs to happen with it. And so when you start from the CEO place, like what are we moving towards? Um, Then it can be very either eye-opening or you have the self-awareness where you realize that just the day-to-day and the weeds 
you know, going from one patient or client to the next, or just one task to the next, or let me do my documentation, or let me make sure that I schedule this patient, or, you know, some of those things that can definitely keep us bogged down. Um, it allows for you to bring yourself up and actually look at the bigger picture. So that way, when you're moving towards this time next year or five years, and you're actually moving towards a goal. And so I love um, Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, right? And so when I when I hear you talk, I just hear, you've got to spend some time working on the business yes. instead of just <laughs> in the business, right? Um, but I know like, and I, I am 100% guilty of this myself. Sometimes when you get busy or stressed out or things get hard, like it's really, it feels easier to just do the things, right? Rather mm-hmm. than look at the big picture. I'm like, oh, let me fix this one little tiny thing on the website that like eight different people on my team can do. But that feels easier than like tackling the big hairy problem that's staring down your shoulder, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about productivity. But as you know, it's a matter of where you're focusing on that productivity. Um, And so if you're shying away from looking at your financials or looking at your numbers, Um, or hiring that person or delegating that task of even tweaking the website, then you're actually costing yourself time. You're costing yourself money because you're not focusing on the things that will ultimately move the practice forward. Um, But it's easy to do. You know, I have a number of years of building practices. And in that time, a lot of the feedback that I would get was you need to be more strategic. You need to bring yourself up. You're spending too much time. You're a firefighter. And by the end of the day, I would feel exhausted from my name. I didn't even want to hear hear my name at the end of the day or to try to make a decision. And it was just because I wasn't putting myself in a position to even own my CEO status or to utilize my team in a bigger way or to make sure I was paying attention to the numbers, Um, you know, making sure I was paying attention to what I needed to focus on to truly, again, move the practice forward. And so a lot of the work that I do with the clients is to make sure that they are focusing on not so much making the tweak on the website, but if you have a team, if you have a writer die dream team, who can help you with that tweak on the website? And then what else can you work on that is productive, but also moving you towards the goal that you have? Yeah. So what are some tips uh, that you might have for a practice owner who's thinking like, oh yeah, I'm definitely doing the little things that I don't need to be doing. Like, how do you help someone refocus then? Uh, We always start with the vision, you know, like what what the clarity piece, the self-awareness piece. So even for example, I was meeting with a client earlier going through financials and, um, you know, and just trying to make sure that she understood and got really clear on where she's moving towards because for her, she's spending a lot of times in the weeds. So one of the things is hiring an office manager to help. So looking at the existing team that you have in place, is it the right you know, do you have the right players in the seat? Um, do you have the the right skill sets, the right strengths when it comes to the team? Um, you know, does it make sense for where the practice is moving towards? And all of that starts with the practice owner. And then essentially one of the things that we do is putting, trying to put numbers to what needs to happen when it comes to the hiring piece, or if you want to hire an office manager, or if you feel like you need more help, um, or, you know, do you have an accountant? Do you understand the financials? Like all of those things come into play. Um, but it all can start with, well, I'm working on something that feels so small and I have a whole gang of people. And so a lot of times when you start asking questions, it's, well, I've hired, you know, Susie, for example, to, to do X, Y, and Z, but Susie really isn't a good fit. So I Mm. would love to be able to have, you know, someone else in that seat, but I've been 
tolerating Susan or, you know, just whoever the, the team member is in order to get by. Um, so, but it all starts with that self-discovery and asking a lot of questions and getting really clear on the, on the vision piece. So speaking of Susie, the hypothetical person, yes. <laughs> how does making, like, how does making the wrong hire, how is that going to ultimately affect a practice's financials? Uh, well, when you make the wrong hire, then you you have somebody who doesn't necessarily have the training or the right skill set or the right culture fit, um, you know, for the job that they're doing. So oftentimes the first sign is that you're stepping in, um, you're fixing things, you might be doing a project for that person, there might be other team members that um, you're giving an assignment to instead of, you know, instead of Susie. And so that ultimately bogs down either another team member that could be working on something else. It bogs down you to where maybe you could focus on a higher revenue generating activity. Um, and then ultimately what happens is a lot of times if you get to the point where Susie was never a good fit and Susie ends up leaving or you have to let her go, um, then that costs money. You know, turnover costs money. It takes time to train. It takes time to hire. It takes time to, you know, make sure that you have to interview to make sure that it's the right fit. And so when you're doing that over and over and over again, and when you have a revolving door of help, um, you're stressed, the team is stressed, you know, and so it's not really great for anyone. Susie's stressed because she feels like she's not doing <laughs> a good job. And so it's, it's definitely a cycle that you can get yourself into for sure. Well, and so the last few years have been a really tough hiring market, I would say. I, I, I would say that most of my clients are experiencing that. Um, so in this market, how do you find your, your ride or die team members? Yeah, I always say patience, patience. And what I find is that don't hire at a place of desperation, um, never settle for that person. And one of the things that we do always focus on is looking at every hiring um, opportunity as a marketing opportunity. So again, if like the way that you template the job posting, um, where you're actually putting that posting at, you know, definitely taking advantage of career boards, professional organizations, LinkedIn, getting really creative, um, understanding that if you go into the mindset of I'm never going to be able to find the right person, and that's the mindset that you'll have, I'm never going to be able to find the right person compared to understanding like, yes, this is a job market, you know, but what is the opportunity? Maybe it's a different position. Maybe it's somebody who brings a different skill set. Maybe it's um, thinking outside of the box for, you know, what you can do within the practice. I would say that my clients who have gone through this, um, you know, have actually the ones who are in a really great place right now were the ones who actually thought outside the box, the ones who got creative with who they were hiring, the ones who really stepped into the vision that they had, thought bigger, um, looked at other revenue opportunities, all of those things in order to get the practice where they want it to go. And so during the pandemic, based on what they've done, they've been able to move from six to seven figures. You know, one of my clients were working from seven to eight figures, you know, trying to help her scale. Um, so it's, you know, it's just a matter of what that mindset is. And again, it all starts with you. But being open and up to the opportunity compared to, you know, the job market just sucks. I'm never going to be able to find anybody. And so if you come with that attitude, then that's exactly what, you know, what I believe what you'll get compared to what is the opportunity here? I realize that the job market is the job market, but what else can I do? So I've had to hire in every single job market there is during my 15 plus years. And so I think when you are just open and um, patient and definitely creative, then there's a lot of opportunity to have to be had. And so what are some of the ways um, that your clients have thought outside of the box? Like what are some creative 
hiring strategies? Yeah. So for example, instead of maybe hiring another therapist, they've hired coaches um, and have started, you know, whole revenue streams with coaches, you know, and have been able to be very successful with that. Um, Some of it has been, you know, to hire a nurse practitioner compared to, um, you know, uh, an MD, you know, that's the other thing, maybe step into more of like training. Um, You know, one of my other clients right now, we're looking at speaking because she wants to add that into like her revenue stream. So just really honestly thinking outside the box and what can I do Uh, within the practice, you know, what are some of maybe some professional aspirations that I have outside of, you know, being a practitioner outside of the practice, you know, and is there a way for us to maybe generate revenue that way um, that can benefit the practice. So it's really fun when you start to look at things from an opportunity compared to just putting yourself in a box for sure. Got it. And so alternate revenue streams as a way to be able to hire in a different way. If there's no clinicians available, let's look at how else we can grow the business. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Right. What are some of the other activities a practice owner might be doing that's holding them back? Uh, When working in the weeds, I would say a lot of it would be some, maybe doing some of the billing, um, scheduling, um, you know, scrolling on social media, Just to throw that out there, um, you know, definitely some of the follow-up work that comes when you have patients and clients coming in the door, um, you know, customer service, complaints, like all of those things that are necessary to have that are definitely part of the practice. But when you start to bog yourself down with them, um, you know, the website tweaks, um, you know, and not delegating appropriately, then that can definitely take up your time and then thinking about what else could I do and then thinking about is there another provider. So for example, one of my clients, she's, uh, she does a lot of consulting work. And so that consulting work that she's doing is a revenue, you know, it's a revenue generator. However, she's tired and some of it has to come from like the amount of documentation that she has to do. You know, she has the practice that she has to run. Um, and so that can be exhausting. And so one of the things that we are doing is finding a way to get some of that paperwork off of her plate, the documentation, um, looking at ways to utilize technology, looking at ways, you know, do, do you have to be the one to do this? Does it require your skill set, your, you know, your clinical knowledge? The other thing is hiring a person to replace her so that way we can remove her. Um, but the revenue is still coming in. So it's honestly just some of those things that you are just becoming a bottleneck, um, either for the revenue to come in the door or for time, or if your team needs something, or just because you have some type of feeling or fear, um, all of those things can definitely hold you back and and keep the practice from moving forward. So it's a number of things. There's definitely a a report card that we give our clients. And so there are $10 tasks, hundred dollar task, a thousand dollar task and $10,000 task. And so the goal is for our clients to say in the thousand dollar task and the $10,000 task. Um, so those are some of the bigger things like for strategic planning, um, you know, when it comes to networking and outreach and all of those things that can definitely, um, are not social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just going yeah. social media or website yeah. tweaking. I like, yes, I brought that exactly. one on myself, but I think, I think you're, you're picking on me just a smidge. Yeah. <laughs> Because in a very that. loving way. In a very loving way. <laughs> uh, so let I mean, let's get specific. When do you think a practice owner should hire a VA? When do you think they should hire leadership? Uh, like, let's get let's get real specific. Yeah. So in the beginning, when you first start out, 
a lot of it is again, marketing, trying to figure out niche, trying to figure out how am I here to serve, trying to get really clear on what do I need to do to get people in the door. Um, but when you become booked and busy, you know, and ultimately when you have the, the clients who need to be scheduled, the billing that needs to be sent out, um, the financials that need to now be checked because you have money coming in into the door, then I always recommend the first one of the first hires that you should make would be that administrative piece. So it, whether if it is a VA or if it's just a, a very particular administrative person that comes into the practice um, to help you with some of those admin tasks. And that's always the first hire I always recommend even before bringing on a provider. And I think sometimes what happens is you wanna bring on the provider in order to help with that, um, that client piece, that patient please, because there's usually by that time, there's, you know, wait list potentially, or, yeah. you know, there's more people who need to get filled and everything else too. But oftentimes when you bring in that second provider, that's a revenue generating, you know, provider. So if you have them bogged down scheduling, trying to help with billing or trying to follow up with patients and clients, then that can also be very overwhelming for them too, compared to seeing, you know, those patients and clients that they need to see. So I always recommend admin before you even hire the second provider. Once you have admin, they have a good understanding of what their role is, a good understanding of, you know, what policy and procedures, operations, all, all of those things, then to move on uh, to be able to hire the provider that you need because you're going to set the practice up for better success compared to a lot of what I see once clients start to come to me is they've hired provider after provider after provider. And then they're stressed where they've hired maybe one admin person um, and another provider. And it's, it's just, it creates, <laughs> and it creates, you know, a lot of chaos. Um, so wheels are yeah. falling off the bus. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So when it comes to hiring an administrative assistant, whether it's, you know, direct hire, VA, a contractor, do you prefer them to do a specific task? Like, do you want them to, to be already knowledgeable about billing, be good on the phone? Like, which do you, do you care which piece as, or as long as they're good with one of them? Yeah, you know, I always leave it up. One of the things is I always like to empower the provider, but I will say that that person, because I've seen a combination of both. I've seen where they'll go with like a billing vendor, um, but that administrative person will be the person responsible for patient follow-up, you know, scheduling, um, you know, making sure like answering questions, customer service piece. But even if it's, and I've seen it where it's a combination where you get a VA or administrative who understands the billing piece and who mm -hmm. can actually help with some of those things. But either way, one of the things that I always recommend is that that person needs to be very good at what they do. Um, and they need to have a skill set to make sure that they're successful. So especially if you're going to have them help with the money piece and, you know, see, oversee financials, then they need to have that skill set because that's your money at the end of the day. That's your bread and butter. And so I've seen some really big horror stories either where they've hired billing vendors and it didn't work out or they've had people come in specifically focused on billing. They didn't have the skill set they, that they needed, so it didn't work out. So I've seen it on both ends. So that's why hiring, making sure that that person has a skill set, making sure that they have an accountant um, that can help partner with them and a CFO, you know, if they're, if they're at that revenue, um, you know, that revenue place just to help them with some of these financial decisions. And then just to making sure that the revenue is coming in the way that it should. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really critical piece of a practice. Like the money has to keep coming in or else not much else can, can work exactly. well. All right, Brandy, I'm going to put you on the spot. I asked this of all of my guests on Therapy for Your Money. What is your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book would actually be um, Endure or Beyond Entrepreneurship 
um, 2.0. So I actually keep it on my desk and it's, you know, the bright yellow book that it has. And the reason why I have, like, I love that book is because it's definitely, um, where it talks about everything. It talks about the leadership, the mission, the vision, the team, the operations, all of those things that go into transitioning from just, you know, kind of being in that daily hustle and grind to now you have a company. And so one of the things that I always talk about in my message is when you are owning that CEO role, when you're owning your CEO status, you're looking at your practice as a company, not just, you know, what it's doing right now, but truly, you know, making sure that it has policy and procedures, that it has the right team in the place, that it has, you know, that you do have a financial partner, um, that you understand the business side of things. And so that I feel like that book covers everything that could potentially, or even with BHAGs, you know, big, big, hairy, audacious goals, like the whole thing is definitely in that book. And so it's one of my favorites. Awesome. And is that a Jim Collins book? It is. It is. Okay. So yep. BE 2.0, Jim Collins. Okay. Yep. Great. We'll add that to the list. Um, and now Brandy, if any of our listeners want to uh, reach out to you, reach out to you and want to know where to find you, what's the best spot for them to go? Yeah, you can find me always on Instagram at Savvy Clover Coaching. Uh, you can um, S-A-V-V-Y-C-L-O-V-E-R and you can find me on my website uh, savvyclover.com and there is waiting for you. I have a, um, two day seminar that I always host every single month. If you would like to register for that to learn more about the business side of things. Um, and then also a business health checklist that goes through 16 savvy CEO business activities that you can do to make sure that you are owning your CEO status. Okay. And we're going to link to that checklist in the show notes too, because I want to go get it as perfect. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.